please take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 45 and we'll be reading eventually the first nine verses of that chapter Genesis chapter 45 we began last week a series of messages or studies entitled the God who sins and we are discovering that in the Old Testament and in the New Testament one of the great ways of understanding what God is doing in your life is to understand who he is that when he acts that when he gets ready to do something he sends someone and it's an act of sending our God is an invisible God but he is real but the way he has chosen to make himself known the way he has chosen to make himself visible in the universe is through you and me and we have this calling being made in his image to make the invisible God visible to a watching creation the title of this morning's message is staying on track when you can't see the tracks staying on track when you can't see the tracks I want to begin reading in Genesis 45 verse 1 Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried out, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, Please, come near to me. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Those of you familiar with the story of Joseph know what an incredible experience this was for him. Let me share with you why. Let me give you some of the backstory of this. In Genesis chapter 37, we begin the story of Joseph in a family where he has 11 brothers. He is the great-grandson of Abraham. If you read in the Genesis account, you'll see about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And Jacob had the 12 who were going to become the tribes of Israel. Joseph was next to the youngest. And... As we read about him in Genesis 37, immediately we see some things about him that cause concern. He tattled on four of his brothers right away. First thing that happened. Did you ever have a younger brother tell on you? Uh-huh. And uh, there were four of them, specifically Dan, Naphtali. They were the sons of Bilhah and Gad and Asher. They were the sons of Zilpah. But there were these four brothers. They were keeping the sheep. And I don't know what it was, but he went home, told his dad about it, did not engender a great love relationship with his brothers. But his father loved him. In fact, the Bible says he was his father's favorite. He was loved above all the other members of the family. And, and so much so that he treated him to special gifts. One of those was that multicolored tunic, that, that coat of many colors that we hear about. And, and then just to it off he has a couple of dreams 
And at around the age of 17, 16, 15, somewhere in there, he has a dream of these sheaves of grain in the field. One represents him, the others represent his brothers, and his brother's sheaves bowed down to the sheaf of Joseph. He has another dream, the stars, the sun and the moon, the stars representing his brothers, the sun his father, the moon his mother, and they all bowed down to Joseph. His brothers didn't like him. They hated him. They wanted to kill him. The Bible tells us when the moment came, the father, Jacob, worrying about the other brothers, sent Joseph to find out how they were doing. And as he was coming, his brothers saw him, and they said, this is our opportunity. Let's take him out. And, and, and as you read the story, that's not what happened. One of the brothers intervened, Reuben, and instead of killing him, he wound up being sold into slavery. I'm not sure that was an improvement, but at least he was still alive. So his brothers sold him, they took his tunic, put blood on it, went back to his dad and said, your son was killed by a wild animal. This is what we found. It was a lie. And the father thought his son, his favorite son, was dead. That's sort of scene two, scene one. Scene two of his life opens up in in Genesis chapter 39, verse one, and this is what we read. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt and Potiphar... An officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, brought him, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. And then verse 2 is really important. The Lord was with Joseph. And so in Potiphar's house, God gave Joseph favor with his master. So much so that ultimately, Joseph was in charge of everything in the house. Potiphar didn't have to do anything. He was the chief steward. He was the curator. He was the caretaker. He was the one in charge. But then something terrible took place. The household's being blessed. All these great things are happening. But then in verse 7 of Genesis 39, it says, and it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph, and she said, lie with me. But he refused. If I had a pencil, I would underline that. But he refused. And then a couple of verses later, verse 9, he says, How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And so he was being tested by the master's wife. He was being tested verbally, things she was saying to him. You keep reading the story and you see he was being tested daily. She was doing this every day. He's being tested not only verbally, um, not only daily, but also physically. The Bible says she reached out and grabbed his cloak, trying to get his attention. Ultimately, he ran away, let that cloak come off, and he ran away. When that occurred, she falsely accused him of attempted rape, and his master had him thrown into prison. Then we come to scene three. In Genesis 39, at the end of that chapter, verse 21, it says, and he was there in prison. Listen to this. But the Lord was with Joseph. Have you heard that before? He's in Potiphar's house, but the Lord was with Joseph. He's in prison, but the Lord was with Joseph. And so the same thing happened in prison of all places that had happened in Potiphar's house. The keeper of the prison, the warden of the prison, gave all the responsibility for taking care of the prisoners to Joseph. And Joseph did it well. 
and he was uh, promoted and, and he was given favor and everybody looked on him well. One day he met two men. These two men had formerly worked for Pharaoh. One of them was the cupbearer. He was the one who made sure there was no poison in it, but he was also a trusted advisor. He was in prison. Pharaoh had thrown him there. There was also the man who was a baker, and he was in prison. They had dreams. They didn't understand what they were dreaming. And Joseph said, when he saw what was happening to these men, he didn't know what their problem was. He said, he said why are your faces so sad? And those men said, we've had dreams, we don't understand them. And, and, and Joseph says, do not interpretations belong to God. Tell them to me, please. So he listens to the dreams, and the end result is that the cupbearer is about to be set free and returned to his former position. The baker is about to be executed. When the cupbearer returns to his home, Joseph says, when you get there, would you please remember me? Because I really don't belong here. Now, we know that everybody in prison says that, but Joseph was telling the truth. And so the cupbearer promptly goes into Pharaoh's service again and forgets. He forgets about Joseph until Pharaoh has a dream, and Pharaoh doesn't understand his dream, and he's concerned, and nobody and none of the wise men of Egypt can tell him what it means. And so at that point, the cupbearer remembers Joseph, and he says, there was a man in, in prison with me. Remember when you were mad at me? There was a man there with me, his name was Joseph. And Joseph comes out, he explains the dream, dreams to Pharaoh. And the long and short of it is, is Pharaoh, God is telling you in advance that there are going to be seven wonderful years of harvest. You're going to be blessed beyond your wildest imagination. But followed, following those seven years of bountiful harvest, there are seven years of famine that are coming. And here's what you need to do to get ready. Pharaoh believed Joseph became the second chair guy in the most powerful nation on the planet. He literally went from prison to a place of great power and influence. And as he did that, and as the, the years of went, and then as the years of famine came, about two years into that, one day his brothers show up, and that conversation I read to you at the beginning of the message takes place. And right after he gets everybody out of the room, and he's got all of his brothers there with him. We read these words in Genesis 45, verse 5. Listen to this. This is an amazing testimony. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. He's the God who sins. For these two years, the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now, now think about this. In light of everything he has suffered, so now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house, and a ruler throughout the land of Egypt, hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. Do you think Joseph had a conception that he was being sent by God? He didn't say it just once, did he? He repeated himself. 
And I believe that's, that's incredible because a lot of us going through the same experiences would not say, well, God sent me to this place. And, and not once did he panic, not once did he complain, not once did he accuse God of mistreating him. Not once. Have you ever experienced this? You would stand here and if we were talking, you would say, Pastor, I stepped out in faith. I took a step of faith. I did what God was leading me to do. And it seemed that everything went wrong. Everything went wrong. Do you know that's one of the most common experiences described in the Bible? People who were exactly where God wanted them to be and it seemed like everything went wrong. Think about the Israelites when they were coming out of Egypt. God had delivered them miraculously through the, through the various plagues. They were sent out and they come to the Red Sea. They were exactly where God sent them and the enemy is closing in and they can't cross the water. But they were exactly where they were supposed to be. Not too much longer, they're at the very boundary at Kadesh Barnea. They are about to enter the promised land. God had said, if you trust me, you can have it. They send the spies out, the majority report, 10 of them come back and say, it's too scary, they're too big. We can't take the promised land. We can't do it. We'll be destroyed. Two of them said, we just need to trust God. Those people got so afraid, they backed away. They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, and they missed the greatest blessing God had for them. But dear ones, at that moment when they were panicking, at that moment when they were afraid, they were exactly where God sent them. No mistakes. Disciples are in a boat in the middle of a lake. Jesus says, let's get in the boat and go to the other side. A storm whips up. The waves get large. The wind is blowing. Lightning is striking. And these men are scared to death while Jesus is in the boat. They wake him up and they say, Master, Master, don't you care about us? We're perishing. We're going to die. Jesus gets up and says, where's your faith? Where's your faith? Were they mistakenly in that boat at that moment? No, they were exactly where God sent them. Exactly where God sent them. Dear one, it's not uncommon that when you begin to obey the Lord, all hell's going to break loose. And there's only one way to respond. You can run in fear or you can stand and say, I'm going to trust God no matter what. I'm going to trust God. So how can I do what Joseph did? How can I go through circumstances of life that I cannot understand, I cannot explain? Somebody would look at me and say, you trusted God and this is the best your God can do? How can I, how can I be like Joseph? How can I have that kind of faith, staying on track when you can't see the tracks? How can that happen? I want to share with you five things taken from the life of Joseph that I believe can answer that question. If you're here this morning, and as best you know, you've been walking with God, and you're experiencing all kinds of difficulty, all kinds of challenge, all kinds of hardship, let me tell you what the Lord wants. In the very circumstance where the enemy is roaring, he wants to put fear in your heart and intimidate you, in that very same moment, God wants you to simply turn to him as his child and say, I trust you, Lord. He wants to prove your faith. He wants to prove the authenticity of your faith. A lot of us say, I believe Jesus, but do you trust him? 
So he wants to prove us. He wants to test our faith. It is part of the believing life that you and I grow in faith. The Apostle Paul, at the end of his life, and all the incredible, terrible things that had happened to him, was delighted to say with joy, I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. What do you think you're fighting for in your personal life? If it's not to say, God, I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. I don't understand, but I trust you. How can I do that? Let me share with you five things. Number one, keep walking with the Father who loves you and who is always near. When you can't see the tracks, how do you stay on track? First thing you do, keep walking with the Father. Keep walking with the Father. Keep walking with the Father who loves you and who is always near. Now, did Joseph do that? You bet he did. When he landed in Potiphar's house, stripped away from his home, stripped away from the comfortable environment he had, stripped away from a father who loved him, and he finds himself in Potiphar's house, what does the Bible say? The Lord was with Joseph. When he lands in prison and he goes from bad to worse, he comes out of the frying pan into the fire, things aren't getting better, God. You know, I mean, he had every reason to complain, to accuse God. But what does the Bible say? The Lord was with Joseph. Do you know what that means? The Bible in the New Testament says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. If God was with Joseph, it's because Joseph with all his heart had turned to God and say, oh God, I don't know what's happening. I don't know why. But Lord, here I am. And he just drew near to him, drew near to him. He would, have, he would have greatly understood, greatly appreciated what Jesus taught that we studied last year in John 14. But the disciples are worried because Jesus is leaving physically in John 14. He's about to die on the cross. He's going to leave. They don't understand. They're confused. And he looks at those men and he says, I will not leave you as orphans. This relationship we've had, it's going to continue. I will come to you, he says. At the same time, he says he's leaving. He says, I will come to you. And through his Holy Spirit, he indwells every Christian. By the way, that's the definition of a Christian. There is no other. If anyone has not the Spirit of Christ living inside of them, they are not a Christian. They may be a church member. They are not a Christian. And he says, I am with you. I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. You know what that means? That means in your life right now, you have the potential to go through your life in such a way that there are absolutely no unholy moments in your life. There are no moments where God is not available to you. At home, in your workplace, in your social life, because he lives in you, dear one, you have the potential to always be standing on holy ground. And so whatever else is happening, I know what the devil wants to accomplish in your life. He wants you to turn away from God, put all your attention on your problem, put all your attention on what you're afraid of, put all the attention on what's causing you distress, and don't think about God. You may send up little prayers here and there, but you're not turning your whole heart to him and you're struggling and you're getting beat down and it hurts and it's hard. But what did Joseph do? He turned to the Lord. Lord is with me. 
always with me? If he is with me, what can I be afraid? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? I mean, all these truths were rolling through his mind and through his heart. That's the first thing you and I have to do. Keep walking with the Father who loves you and who is always near. Number two, how do you stay on track when you don't have a clue what's going on? Number two, keep caring about people, trusting the Father to work through you to meet needs. Keep caring. And this is an amazing thing about Joseph is in the midst of all the trouble he's in, he still cares about people. He still kept serving people. He still kept doing the right thing. He cared about people. He cared about his bosses. He cared about Potiphar. He cared about the warden, the keeper of the prison. He cared about him. You say, well, how do you know that, Pastor? Because he got promoted. You don't promote people who do a bad job. You don't promote people who don't support you. You don't promote people who aren't loyal to you, who aren't helping you. And so what, what he had the capacity of doing in these terrible circumstances is go into it and say, yeah, this guy is a master and I'm a slave. And I have no freedom, I have no rights, but you know what? I do have the freedom, and I do have the right to serve him the way I would serve God. And in those moments, he served the Lord by serving those he was under their authority, by serving those people in authority over him. In Colossians, you'll read statements like, to do your work heartily as unto the Lord. And that's what he did. He took care of the people that were over him. He took care of his bosses. He served them. He also took care of the people around him. Uh, he loved them. He cared about them. I think about that moment in prison when, when he sees the faces of the baker and he sees the face of the cupbearer, and I don't know what their faces look like. But they'd had a dream. They were greatly disturbed. They didn't know what the future held. And there must have been some kind of fear, some kind of discomfort, some kind of unhappiness. It was very noticeable. And, and, and here comes Joseph, and here are these guys, and he comes walking by them, and he notices their faces. He says, why are your faces so sad? Now, did he have to do that? I mean, think about it. In most workplaces, do you need to worry about why your workers' faces are sad? I mean, suck it up, buttercup. I mean, you don't worry about your workers. Everybody's got to work sometime. And so, so you don't worry about it. You say, well, they're having a bad day, so what? We've got to get this job done. And he certainly could have done that, but he didn't do that. He went to those two men. He said, why are your faces so sad? And so he cared about the people around him in the worst circumstances imaginable. He cared. When you don't know what else to do, when you're trying to stay on track and you can't see the tracks, you're always free to take care of people. You're always free to love people and invest in them. Number three, don't use your pain as an excuse for sinful short-term escapes from reality. And I'm making that a shotgun statement covering a lot of different situations, but we see in Joseph how he refused to be tempted by Potiphar's wife. He could have escaped his pain, couldn't he? He could have just sort of, for a little while anyway, just shut all his problems out. You know, no one's going to know who's going to care. And he just would have sedated his, his mental agony, sedated his, his pain. He could have justified it. What has God done for me lately? 
Why should I be faithful to him? He certainly doesn't appear to be faithful to me. He had every reason to just cave in. But what the consequences would have been. How many millions of lives would have been affected by that decision on that day? How much resources, how much help, how much misery would have been caused had he crumbled on that day? God honored him that day and every day after that, I believe, because he chose not to take a temporary escape from his pain. He took the long view. How can I do this wickedness? How can I sin against God? Number four, don't expect your individual experiences to make sense to you. If you're in the midst of trouble right now, I think one of the favorite questions that you and I have when we're in trouble is what? Why? You know what's fascinating about Joseph is nowhere in this text does he say why. Not one time. Not one time does he turn to God and say, by the way, God, I, I'm hanging in there, and I love you, and I'm going to keep serving, and I'm going to keep doing what you want me to do, but why am I in this position? Why do I keep getting in trouble? It's not my fault. I'm just doing what you told me to do, God. He doesn't ask why. What if God had actually told him at the beginning what was coming? Well, Joseph, here's the deal. I'm going to give you the whole map today. You've had this dream last night. Let me explain it to you. Someday, yes, your father, your mother, your brothers, they're all going to bow down to you. They're all going to do it. But, um, and you're going to be promoted. You're going to be made prosperous. You're going to be the most powerful man on the planet, second to one man. I'm going to do all this in your life. But, but Joseph, let me tell you how it's going to go down. You're going to have to get sold into slavery. You're going to have to be a slave. You're going to have to be falsely accused. You're going to be thrown in prison because you were falsely accused. And then a guy that's in a position to help you is going to forget about you for a while. And then I'm going to get you out of there. I thank God he doesn't give me the map. I thank God he just leads us in steps. Because I certainly couldn't make sense of the ups and downs of my life. Can you? The things that have happened to you. Things you've been through. And so don't, don't move into that position. You know, in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, this is not on the screen, but, but at one point he turns to his brothers after his father's died, and they're scared that now that the father's dead, now Joseph's going to take vengeance on them. And he says, look, you, you meant evil against me. I realize that. You meant evil against me. You meant to hurt me, he says. But God meant it for good so that many people will be saved. As each personal disaster unfolds in your life, we all have a group of personal disasters. If not, just hang on a little while. But as each disaster unfolds, I'm going to tell you right now, the most useless question you can ask is to turn to God and say why. Here's the question to ask. Oh God, how do you want me to respond to this? Oh God, how can I follow you through this? Oh God, where are we going with this? Tell me what to do next. That's all Joseph did. But not once did he question God and say why. Last one, number five. And this is a long one. I don't apologize for it. 
They'll leave it up there, and you can write it down while I'm talking, okay? But this is important, and I want you to hear it. Choose to believe. That's the important part of the statement. Choose to believe. Believing is a choice. That the Father is at work in and through your life for His temporal and eternal purposes. Temporal means right now in our time, and eternal means out of time. And that everything the Father is doing is good. Choose to believe that. <clears throat> the early dreams of Joseph were a starting point in a, in a longer journey to follow God. He had those dreams, and at best, all you could say about those dreams to a 17-year-old boy is they were just a glimpse at the future, but, but did he understand at 17 what was coming? Just a glimpse. But I believe it was just enough of a glimpse, and God does this. Last week we talked about how he prepares us before he sends us. And God prepared Joseph just enough so that all these things that were happening to him, as all these things were going on, he knew enough about his relationship to God to know that God had a reason, God had a purpose, and God only does good things. He never gave up because of that. That simple concept of God, that simple truth about God was enough to get him all the way through. Never gave up. Dear one, you have a lot more than Joseph had. One of my favorite verses, I've shared it here probably a hundred times over five years, is that God has a purpose for you. In Ephesians 2.10 it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. God has works for you to do specific to you as an individual. God has a plan for your life. We are his workmanship, created unto good works. There's a reason to what's happening. He has loved you, the Bible says, with an everlasting love. That's found in Jeremiah 31. Joseph didn't have that. God looks at you and me and all his people through all generations says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. That love has no beginning and no end. It's an eternal love. That means that God has never been at a moment where he did not love you and start loving you. God has never been at a place where he did not love you and start loving you. God has always loved you. I have loved you with an everlasting love. No matter what else is happening, the Bible says that's the truth about you and God. He said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you in John 14. It's a promise. In other places, like Romans 8, he says that we are being conformed into the likeness or the image of his Son. So I know that what's happening is obviously molding me, conforming me, chipping away the, the stuff that's not like Jesus in my life. There is a purpose to it. He sent you and me to be ambassadors for Christ. An ambassador represents the one who sent them. And we have been sent to the world and to say to them, God is ready, God has reconciled, done everything necessary to reconcile you to himself, be reconciled to God. You're an ambassador for Christ. And no matter what else is happening to you, you've been sent there for a purpose, you've been sent there for a reason, you're an ambassador. He's also sent you to make disciples. When he says go in all the world, make disciples of all nations, when he says go therefore and do this, he didn't just say that to 12 apostles. He said that to every Christian who's ever walked the earth. You're sitting there right now, but you've been sent. 
When you go to work tomorrow, you've been sent. When you go to school tomorrow, you've been sent. When you walk across the street to your neighbors, you've been sent. And no matter what else is happening in your life, the circumstances and the places that you find yourself in, you must believe this, that God is at work in you and through you. That there's a two-headed sword, two-edged sword at work there. God is working in you and God is working through you. Now let me say a word about his purpose, that God has a purpose. At any given time in your life and my life, there is a temporal timeline. There's yesterday, today, and tomorrow. There, the time is moving forward. Time is ticking. And by the way, the only time you can obey God is right now. You can't obey God tomorrow. You can't obey God yesterday. Right now is the when you obey him. And in that temporal timeline, whatever's happening to you, what, here's what I want to say. God has a purpose for you in that moment. I just read some possibilities. They're all true. But in that, in that moment in time, God is at work, and God has a purpose for you in time. That means that nothing that's happening to you, yes, someone may mean it for evil, but God means it for good. There's a way that he wants to deliver you, not out of it, but through it. And so no matter what you're experiencing in this moment, God does have a purpose. God does have a way for you through it. Now let me tell you about the one that we don't want to hear about. God also has an eternal timeline. Eternity is outside of time, so it's kind of ironic to call it a timeline. But the things that are happening in your life may be affecting someone who's not yet alive. The things that are happening to you today may be affecting someone dramatically years after you're gone. And that when you and I get to eternity, then and only then will we begin to realize that some of the things that were happening to me had nothing to do with my timeline on earth that I'm going to understand right now had everything to do with somebody that was coming, a generation following after me, several generations after me. I don't know. But we know it happens. You don't have to read the Old Testament very far to see how one generation affected the next generation, affected the next generation, affected the next generation, and the things that happen to one person affects two, three, four people down different lifetimes, totally separated from one another, God has an eternal timeline. Some of the things that are happening to you will make absolutely no sense to you on this side of heaven. Probably a favorite illustration of this is the concept of, uh, of needlework or making a tapestry. Look at this, this image on the screen. Now, that's a, supposed to be a needlepoint of a teddy bear in a tub. Thank you for that. <laughs> and I don't want you to get too carried away with the picture, all right? I don't want you to get too carried away with that. But, but here's the point. That needle point looks very clear. You can comprehend what it is. It makes sense. You know what it is because you're on this side of it. Now look at the next picture. That's what it looks like on the other side. Can I just suggest to you that right now that is your life and time? As you look at the events in your life, the things that you may understand a few things, but I wouldn't hold on to those explanations too tightly because there's a whole lot of things that you don't understand. Are you with me? There's a lot of stuff I don't understand that's happened to me. I'm sure there's a lot of things that you don't understand that have happened to you. And as you and I look at it, it looks like a mess. And we may come down even to the end of our life. Well, I'm getting ready to go home to glory, getting ready to see Jesus, who I walked with throughout my life, and I may get, 
get to that very moment and still not understand all the worst moments of my life. Why? Because there's an eternal timeline that God is operating on, and I am not privy to that. And I don't know how my life or your life is going to affect other people, people I don't even know, people around the world, people who haven't been born yet. But dear one, he has a purpose in what's happening to you. I'm not saying that he's the author of evil. He is not the author of evil. He's not the author of bad things. God does good things. The Bible makes it very clear that God is at work in all things to cause good, to cause everything to work together for good to those who love him. Doesn't mean he causes everything. And, and, and this wonderful illustration of Joseph is here the brothers meant evil, but God meant good. And they both happened in the same event, in the very same circumstance. Both things were happening. So Joseph believed this about God, and it's a choice that you have to make. I choose to believe that God is good. I choose to believe that everything that God does is good. I choose to believe that whatever is happening to me, he is working in me and through me to accomplish his purpose. Hallelujah! Joseph believed that. Do you? Do you believe that? Do you believe that about your life and what's happening in your life or what has happened in your life or what you're afraid might happen in your life? Do you believe that? God is good. Everything he does is good. And what he's doing in your life, he's working in you and through you. 